first four verses. We've been here for quite a few weeks now, and we won't finish today. But our topic is developing a heavenly mindset. Colossians 3, let's read the first four verses. I remind you, Paul is writing, but God is speaking. It's God breathed. The Bible says, If then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. But Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth. And here's why. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, challenge us today to be more like you as we allow the Spirit of God and the Word of God to conform us into the image of your Son. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. We've been here for several weeks now. I just want to kind of highlight a little bit of our text again before we get into detail. The Bible says in verse 1, If then you be risen with Christ. In the Greek, that is not a condition. It is a statement. You have been risen with Christ. Since you have been risen with Christ. Don't miss that. And because of that, because we have been risen with Christ, the Bible says we are to seek those things that are above. And we're also to set our affection on things above and not on things on this earth. So that is our resurrected position. We have been raised together with the Lord Jesus Christ. But then the Bible says in verse 3 that we are dead and our life is hid with Christ. So in the first couple of verses, we see our resurrected position. But now, beginning in verse 3, we see our crucified position. I want to remind you today, church, it's important to know who we are in Christ. It's important to know what the Word of God says and take that and apply it to our lives. And the Bible is very clear. God in His mercy, He has taken you and I who were strangers and foreigners and He made us part of His kingdom. We are part of His family. We are indeed children of God and we are members of His own household. What a promise. But also, the Bible teaches that we have been translated or transformed from light, from darkness, I'm sorry, from darkness into light. And the bottom line is this. And Paul says there can come a time when Christ, who is our life, is going to appear again. And Paul says, we will also appear there with him in glory. And that's why. We must set our affections and seek those things which are above. It's important that as Christians, we develop a heavenly mindset. So, a little bit of review. How can we develop it? Number one, we talked about it last week in quite a bit of detail. We won't do it all again. But number one, we have to focus on our resurrected position. Please don't miss the importance of that. And there are three truths we need to remember. Number one, we have been made alive. 
Thank God. We were dead in our sins. Now we're made alive. But number two, we have been raised. We just read that a moment ago in Ephesians, I'm sorry, Colossians 3, 1. But the third thing is we are now seated in heaven with Christ. Now, child of God, remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember your position in Christ. And the very same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in us. This morning in Sunday school, we were in the book of uh, Peter, and Peter reminds us that God in his divine power has given us everything we need to live life and to live a godly life. God provides all we need and who we are because of our position in Christ. So first of all, if we're going to develop a heavenly mindset, we must do it by focusing on our resurrected position. Folks, don't feel sorry for me. I'm alive in Jesus Christ, and so are you. Thank God for that. But second of all, if we are going to develop a heavenly mindset, we have to also focus on our crucified position. Colossians 3, look at verse 3 again. The Bible says, for you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. How many know if you're a child of God, that's a fact? Now, again, it's important what we know. I want to remind you today, I don't mean to be mean-hearted, but it doesn't matter what you think. And it doesn't matter what I think. Amen. I'm in the group, right? It matters what the Word of God says. And I want to tell you today, folks, you can have a no-so salvation. Because I know what God's Word says. And God's Word says, I have been raised with Christ. So if I'm going to develop a heavenly mindset. I've got to focus on that resurrected position. But the Bible also says that at the same time, I am dead with Christ. So I have to be able to focus on my crucified position as well. So what are we talking about? It seems like the two shouldn't even go together, one extreme to the other, but it's important to understand our crucified position. Because the sad thing, even among a lot of Christians, we know the world thinks that way, but Christians ought not, but too many Christians, instead of thinking on the things of God, they are consumed with ungodly thoughts, ungodly things, uh, lust, anger, bitterness, all of those things in their lives. And the Bible says we shouldn't do that. Why? Because we have been raised with Christ, we've also been crucified with Him. And if we're going to have a, a heavenly mindset, we have to consider our death with Christ. In fact, the Bible uses the word reckon. It's, a, it's an accounting term. We must place that in our ledger, as a matter of fact, we have died with Christ. We have died with Christ. So, the question I want to ask this morning and deal with is, what did I die to? What exactly did we die to? And along with that, at the same time, how did we die? Now, preacher, you said last week we were alive. You said this morning we're alive, and now you're saying we died. What are we talking about? Well, number one, if you're a believer in Christ, you are dead to sin. We have died to sin. Romans chapter 6, look at verses 5 through 7. The Bible says, For if 
We have been united together in the likeness of his death. Certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Notice that. That the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Amen. Now remember what Jesus said in John. He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Now don't miss what the Bible says here. Now remember, Paul says, if we've been united together in, Christ, in the light of the death. Again, the Greek means since we have been. He's writing to believers. If you're a believer, you have been united together in his death. And it's interesting, Paul speaks about the old man was crucified with him. I think Rick's got a song about that, don't you, Rick? Yeah, the old man is dead. I thought about it just the past week. How many are glad the old man's dead? That's what the Bible says. Now, the old man is our life, describes our life, if you're a believer, before you trusted in Jesus Christ. And you were, the old man is a person who we used to be, if you're saved, who was ruled by sin. And who is God's enemy? That's the old man. But when the Bible speaks about the old man and the new man, it's not talking about parts of our personality. It's speaking about our position we have. It's speaking about our position in relation to the old life. That's the old man. Or it's describing by the new man the position we have now in our new life. So the old man is our position in Adam. We were all born in Adam, the old man. But the new man speaks about our new life in Christ. Now, by the way, you either are one or the other. There's no, there's no in between. You don't straddle the fence. You're either saved or you're lost. You're either in Adam or you are in Christ. So either we die with Christ or we die with Adam. Now, I want to tell you, a long time ago, when I came to Christ, I didn't realize it. But after studying the scripture, I found out that if you're in Christ, even though we die physically, we're alive evermore. We continue to live. So if you don't mind, I'd rather die in Christ and not in Adam. So either we die with Christ or we die with Adam. And to die with Christ means that our old self was crucified. We are considered spiritually by God to have died the same death that Jesus Christ died when he was crucified. We are crucified with Christ. So the question is, why? Why is that so important? Because, folks, that's the only way. And hear me well. It's the only way that the body of sin could be destroyed. Folks, God doesn't like sin. He hates sin. And because we're crucified, the body of sin has be, been destroyed. And that's the only way, because we're crucified with Christ, that's the only way our sinful nature can be set aside. Set aside so that God's nature can now live not only in us, but through us. We have been crucified with Christ. We are dead. 
And because of that, you and I as believers, we no longer have to be slaves to sin. You've been set free. The old man is dead. History tells and records many, many instances where slaves who were set free for years would continue to live as though they were still slaves. Either they wouldn't believe they were set free, or they were so conditioned to slavery, they simply couldn't imagine being free. And the same thing is true for you and I as believers. We lived in the grips as slaves of sin for so many years in our lives. And it's hard to believe we've been set free. But until we accept the fact that we have been emancipated by Jesus Christ, until we realize that God has come through Christ and set us free, we will remain slaves. We will never become free. But once we accept God's gracious gift that He offered every one of us of emancipation, we will then be able to realize, you know what, I'm free. And I no longer have to live as a slave to sin. I don't have to give in. So one time, no matter who you are, there was a time, when, if you're saved today, once you were a slave to sin. And we realize that. When we were set free by Christ, we were set free by Christ so that now we can begin to live free. I say it's time we do that. We are set free from our sins. Galatians 2.20, you'll recognize the verse. The Bible says, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and he gave himself for me. Folks, let me remind you this morning, as children of God, when Jesus died on the cross, the moment he died, the power and the penalty of sin died with him. It died with him. And because of that, we are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. Now we can choose to live for Christ. We can choose to live for Him rather than being a slave to sin. And here's what I want to point out this morning. Whenever we, as believers, experience this and realize we have, that we are not now living our lives to ourselves. When we realize that we have surrendered ourselves to the very author of life. The one who came to give us life and life more abundantly. When we realize that now we live our lives and actually he lives through us. And when we realize that, folks, it's a glorious, glorious truth of God's Word. It's not I that live, Paul said, but Christ lives 
in me. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Now, in the original language, that in the perfect tense, the verbs are. It indicates something that happened in the past, but it still influences the presence. I am crucified with Christ, but I live. A past event that still affects my life today. And when the Bible speaks of the cruci- being crucified with Christ, it's talking about our conversion. The day you and I were born again. It was a once for all transgre- transgression and transaction. I shouldn't say transgression. But the bottom line is it happened once. But it continues to have ongoing results in our life. And by the way, if your conversion doesn't affect the way you live, there's something wrong with your conversion. We have died to ourselves. We have died to sin. So if we are ever going to have victory over anger, depression, or any other sin, doesn't matter what you say, nor what you name, if we're ever going to have victory over any sin that controls our lives, we have to understand what the Word of God teaches. We are dead with Christ. And now He lives through us. In fact, when it comes to the truth of our death and sin, Romans 6.11 gives us our answer. Paul says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Folks, I am dead to sin. But I'm alive through Jesus Christ, my Lord. I'm alive through, under God, through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So once we have identified with Christ, once we repent, we believe in Him, and we turn to Him in faith, once we do that, what's true for Him can be true for us. We are set free from sin to live for Christ. Now, again, I want to point out there in verse 11 of Romans 6, Paul used that word reckon, the King James does. Interesting word. <coughs> and it means to consider, to declare. Folks, if you're born again, we need to declare, we need to declare it loud, that we are dead to sin. The old man has died. And by the way, because we are dead to sin, we don't, we cannot respond to temptation. We shouldn't respond to temptation. Because Christ lives in us. As long as we're obedient to the Spirit of God, we don't have to give in. And what's interesting is this. Yes, we have been crucified with Christ. And again, it's Colossians, we are dead with Christ. But we are alive to God at the same time. And it's only because God has given us a new life. And we now have a new lifestyle. And we've been given the sure promise of eternal life. Folks, I'm going to heaven one day. How about you? That's a promise I have from God. So we consider ourselves dead to sin. And again, the whole idea here is to reckon ourselves, to count ourselves, to make sure we say we are dead 
to sin. But thank God we are alive to God. Amen. We are alive to God. And that means that I can break the strongholds of sin. It means I can start over again when I fail. Why? Because Jesus Christ paid it all. He paid the penalty for my sins, and he broke the power of sin in my life. And my friend, he'll do the same for you if you'll come to him. You can overcome. And so, when that happens, when we realize and we count ourselves dead to sin, then, instead of thinking on things that are ungodly, we begin to think on the things of God. God has set us free. We are crucified that we might live with Him. So if we're going to have a heavenly mindset, we must reckon our death to sin. We died with Christ. Now remember, Jesus died. He was buried and He rose again. And we're we died, symbolically buried, our, our sinful body, but now we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. We are dead to sin. Number two, if you're born again, you have died to self. Luke 14, look at verses 26 and 27. If any man, who's any man, by the way? Any one of us, all right? Any man come to me. And hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters. Yea, and his own life also. He cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Can we camp here just for a moment while we're going to any, right? Uh, I realize that the Bible says that whosoever will can come. I'm a, whoms- I'm a whomsoever. How about you? And I'm glad the invitation goes out to all. But if you think that living for God is a bed of roses, you're kidding yourself. Now, very strong verses here. And when Jesus said this, he was on the way to Jerusalem. And large crowds began to follow him. And I have no doubt that, if not, I would say probably the majority of these casual followers considered themselves to be disciples. They considered themselves to be disciples because Jesus was quite popular. Maybe they thought that he was a Messiah. And they thought, you know, I want to be there if he inaugurates his kingdom. But Jesus says to them, there's something you need to know about following me. Following me doesn't mean... You get a grab bag of goodies, like a lot of children want. And so in these verses, he explains what it means to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ. 
And he says to them very clearly. Now remember, a large crowd, man, they're excited. I mean, you could call a pepper out there if you wanted to. They'd all give three cheers to Jesus. We want his goodies. And he gives. But Jesus says, if you're going to be a disciple of mine, you have to hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, and you even have to hate your own life. Now, we weren't there, but I, I have to say that there had to be a rumble go through the crowd. At least a few people gasping. What's he saying? What's he saying? Who in the world would ever ask those or expect those who follow him to hate their family members and even hate life itself? Folks, these are strong words. And I want to tell you, Jesus meant every one of them. And today, especially in America, there are multitudes of people who are casual followers of Christ. They are there for the goodies. That's not true everywhere in the world. In a lot of places, to follow Christ, you put your life on the line. But what is Jesus saying here? We have to understand what he's saying. Now, first of all, let me remind you that God never contradicts himself. Never. Never has. He never will. And never in his life, while here on earth, did Jesus advocate, uh, be an advocate of hatred. In fact, when we read through the Beatitudes, Jesus commanded that we're to love our enemies. Isn't that what he said? So we have to understand that when Jesus said what he said, he was not going against his own command of love. He was not going against the fifth commandment to love and honor your mother and father. And he wasn't trying to subvert the natural love that we have for our family. And by the way, that love is a blessing from God. Absolutely. Now, the word hate there is a Semitic hyperbole. It's an obvious exaggeration to make a point. An obvious exaggeration to make a point. So what is Jesus saying? He is saying to you and I that my love, your love, for Jesus, it ought to be so complete Our love for Christ ought to be so wholehearted that our love for our family members and for life itself pales in comparison. There should be nothing like our love for Jesus. And Jesus says it should pale so much to the point of being like hatred. Now, by the way, we've got it good in America today so far. Could be the day will be. We will not have, but we do right now for the most part. But in the first century, during the time when Jesus said these words, among Jewish family settings, deciding for Jesus could mean losing your family, alienation from your family. 
And Jesus warned the disciples. He warned these would-be disciples that they have to be clear about your allegiance. Who are you committed to, first of all? Is it me or other people, even in your family? And his point he tried to make is this. Jesus says, if you commit your life to follow me, if you come after me and you want to be my follower, you will have demands placed on your life. <laughs> now, by the way, let me let you in on a secret. The reason why a lot of so-called Christians don't experience it is because they're not living for Christ. They're living like the world, and you can't tell the difference. But if you follow Christ, there will be demands placed on your life. And Jesus said, look, I want you to understand what could come your way. He is saying, now, by the way, salvation is free. Thank God. Jesus paid the price. But Jesus says the task would not be easy if you choose to follow me. Jesus said, because if you choose to follow me, there will be some relationships that have to be severed. And that will be severed. Why? Because we are different from this world. And Jesus says there will come a time in your life, there will come a time in your life that some people you'll have to turn away from and remain with him. You'll have to make a choice. And Jesus says, very plainly, if you cannot make that choice, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot be my disciple. But also Jesus said, not only, if you're going to follow me and be my disciple, not only do you need to understand the cost of that, not only we have to love others, me more than others, Jesus says, you will have to pick up your cross and follow me. And follow me. Today, a lot of folks wear a cross on a necklace or some other kind of form, and sometimes it's made of gold or some expensive material, sometimes not. But it represents something good in our lives, what Jesus Christ did for us. But if you lived in the time when Jesus said that, those to whom he was speaking to were quite aware of what it meant to carry a cross. They understood. They had witnessed through the years. And they had watched as Roman soldiers led a criminal to be crucified. And that criminal was forced to carry their cross, the one on which they would die. So Jesus says, number one, you're going to love me more than anything else in this world or anyone else if you're going to follow me. And number two, you have to be willing to carry your cross. You've got to die to yourself. You've got to die Yourself. So he says, I want you to stop for a moment. 
And I want you to think about it. I want you to consider and think through your enthusiasm for me. I, I want you who are superficial to know you made to make a choice. You either go deeper or you go back. Now remember, he's heading back to Jerusalem the last time to do what? To die. And he knows if you're going to follow me, you're going to be willing to carry your cost and die if it need be. So either go deeper or turn back. So remember the principle here. Following Christ is nothing less than total submission to him. Christ says, follow me. If we're going to do that, you're going to hate your life. You're going to take up your cross. And church, that's a daily discipline. We must do it every day of our lives. I don't have the verse in our outline this morning, but you remember the time in the garden where Jesus prayed. He realized the awfulness of the cup he was about to drink. And we see a good picture of Jesus laying aside his own desires when he asked God, his Father, to take that cup from him. But Jesus said, no matter what, I want your will to be done. I want your will to be done. You see, Christ was willing to submit to the will of the Father. And if we are going to be disciples of Christ... We have to be willing as well. Submit to God's will. Galatians 2.20, again, the last part of it, look what it says. Paul says, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the problem with many people today who claim to be Christians They cannot have a heavenly mindset because their lives are so consumed with their self instead of God. If we are going to develop a heavenly mindset, we have to continually, every day, crucify ourselves. We must consider ourselves dead. King James would reckon ourselves dead to ourself, but alive to God. So number one, if you're in Christ, you've died to sin. Number two, you've died to yourself. Number three, if you trust Christ, you have died to this world. Galatians 6 verse 14. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified Unto me, and I unto the world. We have died to the world. How many know in ourselves we have nothing to boast about? Nothing at all. In fact, to boast with puffed up pride is nothing less than sin. Sinful arrogance. 
And the only thing that I can brag about is the cross of Jesus Christ. That's it. And we can boast about the cross because of what the cross has accomplished for our lives. Oh, the power of the blood of Jesus. There was a time, if you're a believer in your life, there's a time you lived like the rest of the world. But now that you've come to Christ, Paul says the world is now crucified to us and we to the world. But now things are different. Everything is different. In fact, Paul said it's it's, it's as though the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world. So the bottom line is we don't need, we have no need of any earthly or selfish motives or ambitions. We have everything we need in Christ. And because of that, we have to let go of the worldly outward standards and symbols of honor and success. Let them go. Because the world has been crucified to us. Let them go. And we must treat those things of the world, the things we once embraced, treat them now as enemies of God. So when I say, for us to say, that we have been crucified to the world, it means to be crucified with Christ. He died to the world. We accept no God but the Lord God. No motive, no power could ever compare our rival, the power of God living in us. By His Holy Spirit. And that's what enables us to live a life pleasing to God. And our only desire, our only motive in our life, ought to be to serve our Lord. And by the way, the only boast we have is in the cross. Amen. In the cross. It's the only way of salvation. So Paul said his death on the cross with Christ also brought death to this world. We don't live by those standards anymore. I am dead to the world. I am dead to the things of the world. They no longer satisfy me. They never they no longer are my passion in life. My passion is to honor and to know the Lord Jesus Christ because I am alive to God and I am dead to this world. Thank God for the cross. 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. As children of God, as believers, we must love God and love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But my friend, we cannot and we must not love this evil world. 
Because the Bible says, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. And this is a warning. It's a warning of a very real, secret, spiritual danger that threatens every child of God. The danger is that we begin to love this evil world. What are we talking about? It's the realm of Satan's influence. That's what we're talking about. A system made up of those who hate God and simply hate the will of God. We have to die to this world. But also understand, we're talking about dying to the evil in this world. To the evil world system. But if you're a child of God, my friend, we should love the people of the world enough to share the truth and the message of God to them. We must let them know that God so loved the world, He sent His only begotten Son. We must let them know that God cared enough to send His very best. But we should not love the morally corrupt system in place in this world because Satan controls that evil world and Satan opposes and the world opposes God opposes his followers and tries to draw those who follow Christ away from God into sin. We have to die to the world. Love not the world neither the things that are in it. The danger here, again, is being drawn away. How many know Satan can paint a pretty picture? The enticements are real and they're genuine. And the very reason why so many folks cannot think on things above is because of worldliness. Satan has pulled the wool over their eyes. They are consumed with the things of the world. They're consumed with gaining them. They're consumed with enjoying them and they want to keep them. And if we are going to focus on heavenly things, if we are ever going to develop a heavenly mindset, we must consider ourselves dead to the things of this world so we can seek those things above. So my question today is this. How many today are expecting to share in that glory when Jesus comes again? Amen. Our challenge is seek those things above. Develop a heavenly mindset. Die out to sin. Die to yourself. And die to this world. Let's stand together. I have to admit today the things we've shared are, we look at it from a human perspective and they seem impossible. Well, humanly they are. And the only way we can ever die to sin, the only way we can ever die to ourselves, the only way we can die to this world is by receiving Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's where it begins. And to be born again, it begins with acknowledging we have sinned, confessing that sin to God with our mouth, believing in our heart, 
and repenting, turning to Christ to forgive us of those sins. That's where it begins. We will never die to sin. We will never die to ourselves. We will never die to the world unless we are born again. But church, remember today, once you're born again, Christ will give you the power. Spirit of God lives in you. We've got a divine power and a divine promise. Christ promises to give us power to die to sin, to die to ourselves, and to die to the world. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful today for your word and what we know. We're thankful today for our position in Christ. And I pray, God, you'll help us do two things in our lives. Number one, focus on our resurrected position. And number two, on our crucified position. And God, I pray for any are here today without Christ. Or anyone listening online, Father. Lord, if they don't know you as their Savior, not as a casual follower, but Lord, a genuine believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that today they would consider that, Lord, and turn their lives over to you. Repent and be born again today. We love you, Lord, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.